0: please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. All right, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we have the sake of time issue again this morning. See, I was already forgetting my water, and I definitely need it. So we have... The issue of time here this morning, so I have not quite made up my mind what I am going to do other than just bite the bullet. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, I used to say a lot. I kind of tried to quit saying it. You know, sometimes you can just beat a dead horse, right? So I tried to quit saying it. But it's still true, so I might as well keep saying it, and I've never completed a sermon one time in my life. So I doubt if I'm going to start today by completing a sermon. So there'll probably be many things left unsaid, which I already know that's the case with the sermon anyway. But um, there's going to be uh, things that we just won't have time to get to that I, you know, always plan on getting to. But that's the case with about every sermon I have ever preached, and um, I hope that's actually the case uh, because um, the truth of God is infinite. It is deep. So if you think you're going to get everything you need to know in one setting, no, it's not going to happen. We're not even scratching the surface, right? Verse number 26, we'll read down through verse number 56. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And returned to her house. Today is another one of those difficult sermons. And may I say, let me back up a little bit. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Today is another one of those difficult sermons, not because it is a difficult passage to understand, it's just we have a lot of baggage and biases to overcome to present anything meaningful from this text today. And, of course, we can pretty much say that with about every text of Scripture anymore. Without true meaning, doctrine, it is impossible to present any meaningful application, practice. And yet, we have no time here this morning to rid ourselves of these besetting burdens. And in a huge way, I'm actually opening myself and you up for a lot of misunderstanding and accusations now you're really getting scared right because like he just read about Mary didn't he (laughs) so we're just going to jump right into it and again I'm going to ask you a favor last week I asked you for I asked for you to listen quickly today I'm asking you to listen quickly and closely What I say, and not try to interpret what I don't say because we don't have time. And if you want the full rendition, you'll have to stay here all afternoon. So you have to listen quickly and closely. So, one of the reasons for the request is I don't have time to say everything, but what I do say should be adequate not to put words in my mouth over the years. I have either became more cautious, more sensible to our current condition, or more discerning about when to speak and when not to speak, or a combination of all three. Or on the negative side, maybe I have become too pragmatic, too compromised, or too pessimistic, or a combination of all three of these things. Or yet, maybe it is some kind of a combination of all six of these things, which I actually think is the case. I guess the real issue is to what degrees these things are placed and how they are impacting each and every one of us, right? But it is a dilemma, and one that I am in constant battle with, and any minister that does not feel this weight is either a deconstructed liberal or a pharisaical jerk, one of the two. And yet, ministers are to welcome with joy and contentment this struggle, this struggle, which at the end of the day is to proclaim the truth. My job is to preach the whole counsel of God, to preach the word, to be faithful in preaching the word, whether it is uh, popular or unpopular, whether it is accepted or, unaccept- or rejected, whether it is um, amended or cursed by reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with all long-suffering and doctrine. Especially in this deconstructed age, for the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables." Therefore, the apostolic charge to ministers is to be watchful in all things, to endure afflictions, and to do the work of an evangelist and to fulfill your ministry. And so, I'm not going to spend our time here this morning discussing the failures of other churches or their erroneous views on Mary, even though I will be making affirmations and denials along the way, that can be applied to various groups. However, I am preaching to us. If you interpret my words in fear of what or how others have swerved into a ditch on the far side of the road, you will miss the fact that from our vantage point is from the ditch on the other side of the road. And it will be lost to you that we're actually in a ditch. Just because there's people in a ditch on the other side of the road doesn't mean you're not in a ditch. It has been my premise, and it continues to be, that we, the church, have been deconstructed. In most cases, entirely. But even in the best case scenario, mostly. The best of the church in America is mostly deconstructed. The circles we run in and affirm in our associations, both formally and informally, are in the mostly deconstructed scenario, in my opinion. But that's nothing to boast about, right? I mean, what kind of standing is that? When we stand before the Lord, it's like, but Lord, we were only mostly deconstructed. We weren't like those other people like the, over there, like those publicans who were completely deconstructed. Now, I've said all this because I want to consider three things here this morning from this passage. First, Gabriel's annunciation. A, annunciation. I have to spell this out a little bit because my... A speech betrays me. So I'm from Brown County. I'm not from Westminster Seminary. And so I have to make sure you understand what words I am trying to say here. Gabriel's Annunciation. Elizabeth's Enunciation. And then third, Mary's... And I'm going to... I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm pausing here, trying to make sure I say it right, because there's a couple words that kind of throw me for a loop. Um, But anyway, Mary's magnification. So those are the three things we're wanting to look at. Gabriel's enunciation, Elizabeth's enunciation, and Mary's... Uh, magnification first let's consider Gabriel's annunciation in verses 26 through 38 scripture informs us that in the sixth month and if you look in verses 24 through 25 you will notice that this sixth month is the sixth month after Mary's cousin Elizabeth conceived Elizabeth was barren, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her husband, Zacharias, who was a priest, and told him that he and his wife was going to have a baby, a son, who was to be named John, who was going to be come to be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. It was this John who would prepare the way of the Messiah to be revealed, who was to be Jesus, the son of Mary. So here in our text, Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And Galilee is this insignificant region in Judea. And Nazareth is an insignificant town in an insignificant region. And that's where the Messiah was going to come from. And then he was going to be born in Bethlehem another insignificant town other than the fact that the messiah was going to be born there you would think logically in our minds that jesus should have been born in jerusalem but he wasn't he should have came from jerusalem but he didn't now john the baptist was the son of a priest He was from an important line. He came from an important place. But Jesus was the son of a lowly handmaid from a meaningless region that would, in the end, have the greatest impact upon the world of any other place that has ever existed. Mary was the lowliest of the low, and yet... Great things would be accomplished by God through her. Isn't this what Paul tells us too? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things. I'm thankful for that. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that the Lord used an insignificant region and an insignificant town and an insignificant handmaid to bring the Messiah into the world. Now, the means are made holy because they are adapted for his use. What God accomplishes through the means of men are not to be the object of glory But the instruments are to direct us to glorify God. That's important to understand. That's the reason why he chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses the lowly. To help us to understand that the merit is not in them or in it. It's not in the thing that he uses. But it's in him. It is to make his power and glory known. And yet, God uses the things of this earth. He uses common and ordinary means in creation to make his power and glory known. And still yet, he takes these ordinary things, these ordinary means, and he consecrates them, making them holy and sacred. Not because there's any merit in them but because God uses them to accomplish his will, because they've been set apart for his use. The means are made holy because they are adapted for his use. Therefore, even though we give honor, it is not the means, it's not to the means, but it is to the God of the means. So Gabriel is sent by God to an insignificant region, town, and handmaid, a virgin by the name of Mary. Gabriel comes into her and declares, as it is translated in the King James, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. The New King James translates it as, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. First, the word hell simply means rejoice. Now, it's a significant term, and it's used by God to declare truth, but that's what the word hell means. H-A-I-L. Okay? Like the greeting hell. Rejoice. She is to rejoice at this announcement because she is highly favored. Because the Lord is with her and because she is blessed among women. This is good news, and good news demands rejoicing. And isn't it strange that Mary has to be told to rejoice? And isn't it strange that you have to be told to rejoice? Isn't that strange? Here, I got good news. It's the greatest story ever told. Uh, rejoice (laughs) the gospel is good news but you see we're so captive to sin we're so dead in trespasses and sin so blind so diseased so bound in our corruption that we have to be told to rejoice you're damned and on your way to hell but Jesus Christ came to save sinners rejoice right I mean It's crazy. Isn't it strange? We have to be told to rejoice. And yet, we, who have been forgiven of all of our sins, set free from the curse, delivered from the bondage of Satan, and transformed into the kingdom of light by the blood of Jesus Christ, are repeatedly told in the New Testament to rejoice and to have joy and to be content and And the reason is because we know that we are sinful. And the announcement of the incarnation, the good news, the gospel, proclaims to us not just the forgiveness of sins, but that we are also highly favored, that we are full of grace. Not that we are full of grace to give, but that we have received a lot of grace. We are, the Lord is with us, and we are blessed, and we are highly favored, meaning we are made more, we are made graceful, that we have been made accepted with grace and therefore compassed with favor and honored with blessings. We are holy in the Lord, we have been justified, sanctified, glorified in Christ, and yet we know, even at that proclamation, being made to us, that we are sinful, wretched, lowly, and insignificant. That's why Mary had to be told to rejoice at the good news. The same reason you have to be told to rejoice at the good news. See, this is Mary's dilemma. The angel Gabriel says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But in verse 29, Mary's troubled about this. She's trying to discern what this means, and it's troubling her. It reminds me of the angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon in Judges Judges chapter 6. And you have to remember that they were under tribute by the Midianites. and The Midianites had control over Israel, all the tribes of Israel. And they were under the dominion of the Midianites and also the Amalekites would come in and other people from the east and destroy all their crops every time they would plant. And every time the crops would start to grow, here the Midianites would come in and destroy everything that they have. So we find Gideon and what's he doing? He's hiding his stuff. Now, he didn't have an offshore bank account to hide from the IRS But he did have a wine press to hide his wheat in. And that's what he was doing. And the angel of the Lord comes to him as he is sneaking around and hiding his assets, not reporting on the short form or the long form. And the angel of the Lord comes up to this man that's kind of sneaking around, looking over his shoulder. And the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who, me? That's not exactly what he said. But Gideon doesn't believe it. And so he responds with this. He says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Now, we will acknowledge that we do not have perfect faith. But the truth is, is that most of the time our faith is pretty weak. You know, the angel of the Lord declares Gideon to be a mighty man of of valor. But I'm telling you, Gideon's valor was pretty weak. Later in chapter 2, at the birth of Jesus, when the shepherds come and tell Joseph and Mary and all who would listen throughout the countryside about the angelic visitation and proclamation, Luke says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Later in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was a boy, Joseph and Mary go to Jerusalem to keep the feast of Passover, and on their trip home, they discover that Jesus is missing, so they return to Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And, And Luke writes this, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Hmm. You see, we try to contemplate comp- these things, right? But it's just too fantastic. It's too amazing. It's too good to be true. So, what do we do? We respond with doubt and fear. Notice the angel responds to Mary in verse number 30 here in Luke chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Mary. The angel knew exactly. What was driving her doubt? It was fear. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, if Mary was having trouble with the rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. If she was having trouble with that statement, her mind has just been blown by the response of the angel, Gabriel, by saying, don't be afraid, there's more. Her mind has been blown here. And she responds... Well, how can this be, since I do not know a man? But the angel continues on, and the angel explains, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then the angel leaves off with this, For with God, nothing will be impossible. This annunciation of Gabriel is the original, but wait, there's more. Except this is not some infomercial to scam you out of your money. It is the greatest story ever told. It is the story of God becoming man, which is why we call it the Incarnation. The incarnation of Christ is the central Christian doctrine that God became flesh, that he assumed a human nature and became a man in the form of Jesus, the Son of God, and the second person of the Trinity. This is the foundational position, the the foundational Christian position that holds the divine nature of the Son of God perfectly united with human nature in one divine person, Jesus making him both, truly God and truly man. We call this the hypostatic union. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became flesh when he was miraculously conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This is the annunciation that God would become man in order to save sinners. It is at this point when the angel declares that with God nothing is impossible, nothing shall be impossible. that Mary responds with no more fear, no more doubt. She says, "Behold the man made servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word." And this is the honor of Mary. Not that she was deified. Not that she became divine, not that she is to be worshiped, but this is the honor of Mary that she believed God and submitted herself to be used by him for his glory. Submitted herself as a vessel for his use. Not that she would be Set apart in order to be worshiped, not that she would become a mediator, not that she would be able to forgive sins. You see, it is in this that she is blessed in her submission, in her meek and quiet spirit. It is in this obedience and surrender that she is blessed. But do not miss this fact. She is blessed. Notice the words of Gabriel. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What is her response? Expectation to be worshipped? No. Her response is humility. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Then notice, secondly, Elizabeth's enunciation. By enunciation, we mean a definitive statement. The Bible records that Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also with child who would be john the baptist and as mary entered her house and greeted elizabeth it happened at this greeting as this greeting was taking place that the baby in elizabeth's womb leaped for joy and then elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit and proclaimed with a loud voice these words Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. First, these words come from God. The Bible specifically declares that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spake these words. These are not just the sentiments of Elizabeth, but the very words of God being spoken. These are the words, just like the words of the angel Gabriel, that God intends to be spoken to Mary and about Mary on this earth. Notice this contains the words that were spoken to Mary by the angel. Blessed are you among women. Although Mary is just a vessel for the service of God and for his glory, this privilege of service does bring blessing. Not only is she blessed along with all mankind in the birth of the Savior, but she is specifically and particularly set apart to be blessed and to be blessed. When Paul speaks of us being vessels of God, he says that we are vessels of honor. Not that there is anything honorable in us. The only thing honorable in us is what the Lord has done. But that because God consecrates us to himself and for his service we become honorable. Mary is consecrated for the Lord's service. Therefore, she has become honorable. The object, of course, is the fruit of her womb, Jesus, but because she was a vessel from which this blessing came, she herself is particularly blessed, just as we are told that Jesus is king and shall rule forever, and we shall reign with him. See, We are particularly blessed in him. We have received all spiritual and heavenly blessings, not because of our merit, but because we are vessels used by God to make the glory of Christ known on the earth. But notice in this declaration of the blessedness of Mary and the fruit of her womb that Elizabeth makes this statement concerning her motherhood in verse number 43. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice first of all that Elizabeth considers herself favored. She considers herself to be privileged to invoke this blessing upon Mary. She is in awe and wonder to be able to speak of this blessing and that the mother of her Lord should come to her the mother of her Lord this is no ordinary place of honor for Mary think of this Mary was set apart by God to be the mother of the God man Jesus Christ fully God fully human and Mary is his mother according to his flesh and humanity. See, she's the mother of the God-man. That Jesus would be both God and man was expressed by the angel in verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest, who's the highest, God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, the divine and the human. Mary did not know how this could be since she was a virgin. And the angel declares to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is born or is to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, it's our virginity that proves That he was God. Mary is the mother of God according to his manhood. She is the mother of the body in whom God would dwell. Blessed art thou among women. In this sense, Mary is also the mother of the church in that the church is the body of Christ. And in that the members having been made sons of God. And as mother, she is to be honored in the church, not in worship. Not in worship, but in honor and respect and emulation and as an example for women to follow and as a mother to respect and obey. Help teach you males on how to treat your mother. Ladies, to help you learn how to be a mother. Mary is only pointing to Christ, just like every means that God uses is to point us to Christ, not to be worshipped, but to point us to Christ. But we should use those things that God has given us so that we might be pointed to Christ. We don't, we see this in the Song of Mary in verses 46 through 55. We won't look at that now, but we see this. What is her response to all this? Is it boasting in herself? Taking on titles to herself? No, it's magnifying the Lord. But she is to receive respect and affection. And you can find the symbology of this in Revelation chapter 12. It is impossible to miss. See, Mary represents the new Eve in the new creation. Mary represents the church. In Revelation chapter 12, shows us the connection. And you'll have to look at that on your own time because we have to consider the next point, and that is Mary's magnification. Without question, Mary is blessed. She is highly favored. She possesses a place of respect, admiration, affection, and honor. And notice Mary's response in what we call the Magnificat, or the Song of Mary, which is also inspired scripture. And she begins immediately by saying, my soul magnifies. That's where we get that term. My soul magnifies the Lord. What is her response? Is to magnify it. To make it even greater. The focus upon herself? No. The focus upon the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Her magnification is to magnify or to make greater the Lord. This is her command and How we are to obey her by making much of God and rejoicing in our Savior. And yet she says that the Lord has exalted her even though she was a lowly maidservant. And because God is the one who exalted her and called her blessed. And that she was to be blessed throughout all generations. She recognizes this exalted place that God has given her and her response is to continue directing our attention to God and making much of him. Should we affectionately respect our mothers? Should we affectionately respect mothers? Should we affectionately respect our mother Mary? The true type of motherhood. The true Eve. Absolutely. Just as we should respect all of our mothers. Does this mean that we should worship her? No. But it does mean that we should honor her as the mother of our Lord. Just like we honor Paul as the apostle of our Lord. Martin Luther said this, "'The honor given to the Mother of God has been rooted so deeply into the hearts of men that no one wants to hear any opposition to this celebration. We also grant that she should be honored, since we, according to St. Paul's words, are indebted to show honor one to another for the sake of the one who dwells in us, Jesus Christ.'" Therefore, we have an obligation to honor Mary. What was the problem that uh, that Martin Luther had? It was with all the superstitious stuff and all the additions to Scripture. Another reformer by the name of Zwingli said, I esteem immensely the mother of our Lord or the mother of God. Talking about Jesus. The more the honor and love of Christ increases among men, so much more the esteem and honor given to Mary should grow. John Calvin, another reformer, wrote, To this day we cannot enjoy the blessing brought to us in Christ without thinking at the same time of that which God gave adornment and honor to Mary in willing her to be the mother of his only begotten Son. Now, the reformers were concerned about the superstition, the ignorance, the heresy in the Roman church, and the people taking the view of Mary too far. They were concerned about it, but they were also concerned about going the other direction. So, the question is this. Why would I preach a sermon about Mary? Well, first of all, because it is scripture. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Second, in order that we would be a thankful people of praise for the blessings that we have received through the work of God in the lives of his saints, and therefore give honor unto them where honor is due... Because our text declares that Mary is highly favored. She is blessed among women. She, and, the, and blessed is the fruit of her womb. That she is the mother of our Lord. And because she was highly favored, all generations are to call her blessed. Third, that women might follow after the ways. The example of Mary to look unto her as their mother, as you should also have spiritual women in the church to look unto as your mother, but to look unto her as a mother in which to learn from and to follow after. For she is the mother of all living in Christ in that she gave birth to the one who has gave us all life. It was through her seed, Jesus, that the serpent's head has been crushed. It is Mary that has paved the way for women who, as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that in Eve, that it was in Eve, who was deceived and fell into transgression, that the world fell under the curse But Paul makes this interesting statement. He says, Nevertheless, she, talking about women in the context, will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Fourth, in order that we might follow in honoring godly women and mothers and sisters, that we might honor women, that we might honor the womb, that we might honor childbirth as the Christmas hymn, O come all ye faithful, declares in verse 2, God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. If God did not abhor the virgin's womb, and if God has exalted and honored a woman, And bless the womb, should we do any less. Fifth, to give a clear example for women, especially young women, to follow. And I know, believe me, I know, that there are a lot of buts. But this, but that, but we are not Roman Catholics, but we don't pray to Mary. Uh, Surely, in what I've said so far, those have been eliminated But if that is your response, then quite frankly, you didn't listen closely. I'm not talking about deifying Mary. I'm not talking about worshiping Mary. I'm not talking about praying to Mary. The truth is that our excuses are just that, excuses in this libertarian, autonomous, individualistic age that we live in. Excuses so that we can abhor the virgin's womb. Excuses so that we can abhor womanhood. And if we do not want to accept God's authority, then so be it. But we'd better stop complaining. And we'd better start enjoying our abuse. We'd better start enjoying And ladies, you better start enjoying your objectification, your slavery, your rapes, your abortions, your prostitutions, your suicides. See, we can reject the biblical honor and example of Mary if we want to. But if we do, and we have, we will get the pop icon representation of Madonna, also called the queen of pop, representing Jezebel and the whore of Babylon, That our children will follow. Sixth, that while we have eliminated superstitions, ignorance, and heretical doctrine, and we have, and thank the Lord we have. But the problem is this we've now swerved the other way, and we've also purged ourselves. Of true doctrine and right practices Which is at the very least just as bad as the other and might even be worse But regardless the possession of an untruth or the possession of no truth Is the same thing? Father We thank you for all the wonderful examples that you have given to us of people that you have worked in their lives In setting them apart unto yourself, meet for the master's use. And we pray that you would help us to honor them and to be thankful for them and to give you praise for the work that you have accomplished in their lives, knowing then that there's hope for us. May we be a people who give honor and therefore an honorable people help us to be a people who give thanks and therefore be a thankful people Lord we pray that you would help us not to be blinded in this day in which we live that is just rank anarchy but Lord may we be committed To the work that you have done in the lives of the saints in the past, may we be committed to that work in our lives today and may we follow their example, just as Paul said follow me as I follow Christ. Just like all of your people throughout all ages, that great cloud of witnesses are screaming to us today follow our example, follow our lead as we followed Christ. And Lord, may we leave that kind of a legacy and a testimony for future generations to be able to look back to us. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.